0: It's my favorite time of the week, and I hope it's yours too. Uh, recording time, it's the best part of my week. I love chatting with you guys about real estate and mortgages, and I am hope you're excited about another good episode here today about a level 2.0 topic, um, all about hold codes, that we're going to do our very best to distill into level 1.0. Now, we're obviously not accountants, we're not lawyers, um, or any of that kind of stuff, so when we talk about these items, it's generally speaking from a broad perspective but it's from perspective that most people really wanna hear and, and want to listen. And specifically, we talked a lot about just lending in general uh, in hold codes. Now, who's looking to lend, and or sh- should I say, use a hold code to buy real estate? Generally speaking, these are people who are looking to buy real estate for the purpose of business um, or investing. And these are people that we see all the time. There's all sorts of different uses, however, and I think our goal here with this episode is just to give you like a very broad perspective of the ins and outs of why, why you may not want to consider uh, real estate in a holdco and some ins and outs of what are the challenges it can place on uh, getting qualified for a mortgage. So For today's episode, Dean Lawton, Derek Williamson, and myself, Alex McFadden of Thrive Mortgage Co, chat about all the ins and outs about investing and using a hold co. So for today's uh, episode, we have a new review, which I love to see. And uh, a new review is from a fantastic listener. He's been great in reaching out and sending us DMs to letting us know he's enjoyed the show. His name is uh, Rob C out of White Rock. Uh, rob c says consistent valuable mortgage real estate investing and credit advice i learned so much from this podcast every week the information is always relevant and applicable to people everyday people's everyday lives when it comes to managing their credit and thinking forward about the real estate ownership or future investments the guests are very knowledgeable and credible. thank you rob appreciate that and the podcast is easy to follow the host make complicated financial issues and topics simple and easy to understand keep up with the great work guys Rob, that was a lot and we appreciate the time that you took out to send us that review. Now, if you want some more mugs, Rob, send us a DM so we can make sure to get you that plus some delicious coffee. In the meantime, thanks for that. And for anybody else who wants to get a couple of these fantastic Thrive uh, YVR Remo Show podcast mugs um, with delicious coffee, send us a DM after you've left a five-star review because that's the juice that keeps us going. Um, We'd love to hear more about what you guys are enjoying on the show. So before I jump into the episode, we have a new feature coming out where you can leave a voice note. So you can leave us a voice note, send us a voice note, whatever you want to do. And we're going to actually do a question of the week. So we want to find out what the questions you guys have are, and we're gonna do our best to answer it on the show. So let's test that out, see how it goes. In the meantime, uh, check us out on Instagram at Thrive Mortgage Co. at the YVR Show. Give us a follow, give us a like, share away and enjoy the show. What's up, guys? You are listening to the YBR Remo Show, where we talk all things Vancouver real estate and mortgages, take boring topics, and make them interesting. Make sure to stay tuned to listen to everything you need to know how to put cash back in your pocket, create wealth in real estate, and simplify the complicated.
1: Yeah, so today we wanted to dig into the ins and outs, pros and cons um, of purchasing real estate in a holding company. The question comes up all the time, uh lots of misconceptions and 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 a lot of uh suggestions that actually don't make sense so we wanted to kind of dig into this and give everybody a pretty high level breakdown of where we see it being used um, where we suggest it being used and some situations that we don't think it's actually a good fit and uh, i'll start by saying that we are not lawyers we are not accountants so we're going to go high level on this and you should absolutely have a conversation with your accountant and lawyer before you actually consider doing this Uh, but we can speak to it from a financing perspective and uh, yeah why don't we kick it off
0: yeah i think to your point just to end off on what you started right there like guys if you are a lawyer if you are an accountant do not send us a message on this one here. We're going to be specifically talking purely from a lending standpoint and just sharing some tidbits as we work our way through it because this question comes up. No word of a lie every single day. Uh, we have someone reach out whether it's for their you know qualification on a mortgage or whether it's buying an investment property or some of our clients looking to eventually acquire a piece of commercial real estate. We just deal with so many different people that are thinking about their, their mortgages from a, a higher level and just curious because they heard about it from a friend or they heard about it from their account. So we're going to suggest that you know, you you have this conversation with us, it just generally let us know you're thinking about it, we'll tell you about your lending situation. But you should certainly be having this conversation with your accountant or your lawyer, if you are at all earning any income or revenue or planning to earn income or revenue um, from from your, your real estate. And the last point I'll make on that before I pass over to Dean here will be make sure that that lawyer or that accountant is not giving you just independent advice, make sure they're having a conversation with your mortgage broker team. So us so that we know what's going on, because a lot of times accountants and lawyers recommend things without considering the ramifications of what you can do on your mortgage financing. And that unfortunately, can cause you more challenges. So again, we always talk about teams. So it's got to be it's got to be cohesive, right? Yeah, absolutely. So I'd say one of the
2: big misconceptions that we get is buying in a operating company versus buying in a holding company and just understanding the key difference to, to what those are, and, and where it makes sense to, to maybe buy in an operating company. So an operating company is a company that's actually doing active business. So they have a, a source of income and they're generating that income. And you know, let's let's use a, an electrical company as an example, buying, you know, potentially looking to buy real estate for their for their home base, their office and their in their workyard. It would be very rare to see that operating company buy that property in their company name. And there's a couple of reasons that they would do that is I'd say the biggest one would be risk and liability. So it's quite common that a a company like that would form a new holding company to hold the real estate. So a holding company just holds assets. It does not generate income. The only income that a holding company would generate is would be in interest on money that they're lending or rental income from a rental property, which is what we're talking about today. So it's very rare that you would see an operating company purchase a property. Uh, and, and those are probably the biggest reasons. Any, any more that
1: you would touch on there, Derek? Yeah, the uh, the operating company piece is, <clears throat> you know, this electrical company that we're talking about, that company is actively doing business. They have multiple projects on the go. Um, you know, they're, they're very susceptible to lawsuit, right? Liability. There's a lot of action within an operating company. Typically, I mean, our company, as an example, you know, we work with thousands of clients every single year, right? A holding company doesn't have Um, exposure to liability like that so putting your assets and it doesn't have to be real estate it could just be a lot of people draw money from their holding company right they might not want to have a ton of money sitting in the operating company because of the risk of liability so they'll actually move the money to the holding company it just sits there it has a level of protection from the risk of the operating company so that's a huge one is just getting those major assets away from any type of liability or lawsuit that can be um, drawn from the operating company. One of the uh, considerations is,
0: is and, and again, this is very high level for us, is we often see people who have that operating company that not understanding the fact that there can be almost like companies, under companies, layered. We talk about, uh, even with our own accountant, he explains to us tiered strategies, where you'll have, you know, multiple people own our company, as an example, Thrive, and there will be a a company under that that holds your holding companies. So and there's a lot of reasons behind going this route. But it does allow for you to separate your, your taxes, your income. And then of course, uh, look at, for example, the very end, having that hold co have multiple shares and multiple people on on owning those shares, right? Where we would potentially see an operating company buy
2: real estate is a company that's strictly built to buy real estate and build a business around rental income and and it's it's a pure rental business so as an example let's you know let's assume somebody's got you know five plus properties it, it's a legitimate business i mean one property is a legitimate business so let's get real it's it, it's not e- an easy project to manage but as you grow and you buy more and more property, we do see some people do reorganizations where they will actually turn it into an operating company that is managing these properties as a, as a legitimate business. And in those cases, we may see an operating company hold title and hold the mortgage. And then to Alex's point, it, it's it's quite common that we just see that layered approach as they accumulate them, you know, the operating company is managing the holding companies that are holding the assets and managing the assets. So. You know, there's a lot of there's a lot of different ways that you could go down this road, but in the, I'd say the most common uh, prop, or, uh, entity would be a holding
1: company opposed to an operating company. We get a lot of questions like, you know, a lot of people, a lot of people who are self-employed run into the same issues, which is they don't claim enough income on their personal taxes, right? Um, And there's obviously tax benefits. If you have a corporation, you can leave money in the corporation. But we run into this a lot where people who are self-employed don't qualify for the size of the mortgage that they were hoping for with traditional lenders. And the question always comes up, can I just buy it in my business? Then you can use my business income. Can I buy it in a holding company? And then you can use more income for my business. That is not how it works. For residential lending, Um, purchasing a property in a holding company is not going to allow you to qualify for more it is quite literally a different entity going on title for potential tax benefits, talk to your accountant, um, asset protection, liability protection, talk to your lawyer. Um, but that is it. We are still looking at you. We are looking at Dean's income and Dean's credit and Dean's debts. And that is how you're going to qualify for that rental property. Right? So just so that everybody's aware, buying in a prop uh, a property in a company is not going to allow you to qualify for more. Yes, there are programs out there where we can look at business income and that's just a totally different lending piece. It's irrelevant of buying in that company or not.
0: Love it. Talk to your freaking lawyer. We'll say that 50 times in this cast. <laughs> That's awesome. Yeah, no, absolutely. So uh, where this comes up really commonly. So I mean, just want to touch on real life scenarios where people ask these questions, just because people listening to this cast are probably like, Oh, what about this? What about that? I I get this a lot of times actually from real estate agents asking like about uh, buying, um, you know, buying in their next property in their company, like, hey, can I buy it in my personal real estate corporation? What does that look like? Can I use that? income where does that go um i hear it from you know people who are buying their second or third real estate investments like hey i i saw this post so it's a lot of hearsay And I mean, I just want to kind of go back on what you said, Derek, is like, no, you're not buying this in your personal real estate corporation, or maybe Dean, you mentioned that you're not, you're not buying it there. And it's not necessarily allowing you to qualify for more to stick it in a corporation. I think that's an important factor to consider. Um, We haven't really talked about what the lenders will look at and what they won't look at from that perspective. So I think we'll get get into that in a minute. But you know, just looking at it from a perspective, like you mentioned, uh, I mean, Dean, why don't we just get right into it and talk a little bit about the uh, the ability to kind of sell or, or buy these pieces of real estate and some real life scenarios where we actually do see it make sense um, in, in terms of holding a property in a hold co.
2: Yeah, so it is very common where an individual will buy a property and have one holding company for that one and only property. And so as they accumulate properties, each property will have its own holding company. So not one holding company holding multiple properties, literally one holding company per property. And the biggest reason for that is, well, again, all the liability reasons that we just touched on, but mainly exit strategies, especially around properties that have development potential. You know, we're looking at properties quite regularly that could be rezoned into, say, a fourplex or an eightplex, like a townhouse development. There's lots of potential future value for some of these properties. And so uh, somebody with a developer's mindset sees that, okay, in the future, what can I do with this property? How do I exit? How do I sell and and realize a, a bump in appreciation, essentially profit from just appreciation and future use. And so what they'll do is they'll actually sell the shares of the company, opposed to selling the title of the home. So what would happen is a, a potential developer, somebody that does build townhouse projects, would buy that holding company, and and it, by buying the shares of the holding company, they then acquire the asset, which is the title of the property, and now they don't they don't pay property transfer tax on that purchase because there's been no change in title. They're just simply buying the shares of the company that own title. So that is one way that we avoid a pretty significant tax and again it's not it's not going to be a value for the seller from a dollar's perspective but it's going to open them up to a far more you know wider range of of buyers especially around the developer side that will really really value you know the ability to not have to pay transfer tax
1: yeah and Kind of tying into that, you know, outside of development properties, I read an article about estate planning and succession planning. So, you know, if you own a handful of properties, or maybe it's even two properties, and uh, you have plans on passing these properties down to your kids, there are ways to structure properties in, you know, family trusts and companies, and and it's a similar structure where you know instead of passing title to your son. You're actually just adding him as a shareholder to the company and the, and the asset is, is transferred down from there. So there's a lot of potential benefits, um, tax deferral uh, options that you can look into there. Um, we also see corporations being used on everything commercial. If you are buying a commercial property, most lenders actually 100% require you to be purchasing it in a corporation. They won't let you purchase it personally. Um, so that's from a mortgage standpoint. But over and above that when you are purchasing a commercial property uh, you know there's typically greater risk liability you have a company operating in that property you know it's not just mom and dad living in there and paying you rent every month so having that asset protection and and liability that kind of screen of liability is really important yeah just one piece on 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 that so
2: it's funny like a lot of people kind of think of this concept of what is a holding company like look at it as another person another entity and in that case where you're buying for commercial use it is very common that the own, the operating company will set up the holding company to buy the property and then that holding company is renting the property to the operating company so it, it's one owner that manages everything but he's actually paying himself rent and himself being the holding company that we should look at as a, as its own entity, it is. It's it's almost like another person. You could, if you're looking at this
1: in layman terms, right? Yeah, in a real life scenario, is Thrive. Um, we recently purchased an office that we're currently building out, and Thrive is actually going to be paying rent to the operating company that owns the the building, right? So um, it's a tax write-off for Thrive because Thrive is actually going to be utilizing and operating within that. If you're buying a property that you're gonna be leasing out, obviously it's a little bit different. The tenant is the one that's paying you the rent. Um, outside of that, we we have a lot of clients that will buy together, they'll, they'll create a JV, right? So this is two, three, four people buying properties together. And a really good way to structure that is, you know, rather than having four people on title of three properties, uh, you can create that holding company and four people own their you know, divided interest shares in that corporation, which is purchasing the property. And obviously outside of that, you have your legal um, ownership agreements drafted up and and everything that goes along with that. But those are three really common scenarios. So anything for the purpose of investment, we rarely, rarely see people buy an owner-occupied residence in a corporation. I've never seen it make sense, but again, maybe there's something I don't know there. Uh, So anything for the purpose of investment, anything and everything commercial, JVs, and then properties that could be producing a large amount of uh, income or appreciation, whether it's, you know, um, development property or what have you. Those are four very, very common situations where it typically does make sense to purchase in a corporation. Yeah. We've touched on the JV structure in previous episodes,
2: especially with Jared hope and, and how to structure that does a JV doesn't have to involve a holding company. We'll be, we'll, we'll be clear on that. Like a JV could be multiple things. So we won't go deep into that,
0: but a holding company is a great, uh, vehicle for a JV opportunity so what why don't we pivot to the lending piece and I think that's the area that we're probably most comfortable you know talking about where we don't necessarily need the lawyers to uh, give us caveats and it's more of a general conversation around um, around that and so without advising directly on whether or not it makes sense for you from a tax or or a, a you know an estate planning standpoint just purely from a lending perspective Putting your mortgage into a hold co or buying a property in a hold co does limit your solutions. It does limit your options, and it will change your total cost as it pertains to your mortgage. So, so that's another reason that Derek, you know, you brought up. Obviously, you know, definitely, I, and I haven't seen anybody do it from an owner occupied, you know, primary residence standpoint because I think you're generally speaking, capital gains exempt. You don't have to pay the additional taxes on that. But, uh, you know, lenders don't want that on their books. They're not looking for that, generally speaking, residential lenders, residential mortgage products, right? If you walk into uh, you know, uh, most, I guess, typical lenders or products and rates and things of that that nature that you see online, you're not paying that. Like you're not getting those interest rates, you're not buying it with 5% down, these types of things, unless you're looking at things like a bear trust agreement again, and that's where the lawyer caveat comes up. (laughs) i will throw that out there. Uh, But for for the perspective of borrowing, um, your lenders
1: are still looking for it to be in your name. Your name they don't want you to buy this in a company yeah there's really no benefit there's nothing positive uh, when it comes to the lending component uh, in for buying in a holding company like lenders are not jumping wanting that Uh, it's gonna limit you there are a lot of lenders out there that actually won't offer financing a holding company for residential properties they will just say no it has to be in your personal name so right away your lender pool is shrinking and being mortgage brokers, the more lenders that we have access to, the better, right? Like maybe you need that credit union to get that higher qualification, or maybe we don't have access to that interest rate because we can't go to that bank, right? So you immediately do limit your options. Um, Not to say that there aren't some good options out there, but you do limit yourself. Like Alex mentioned, a lot of these lenders will add an interest rate premium because of that, right? So a lender looks at this and goes like, well, why doesn't Derek just wanna buy in his personal name, right? is it is there is it you know is there is there risk in this mortgage going under is there risk in foreclosure and and this is kind of you know pushing Derek away on the liability component so they look at it from that aspect and and because of that they always will add a bit of a risk based premium you might get a 0.25% lift on the interest rate which again it's not the end of the world uh, but you're not getting best possible rates uh, in most situations
2: And we're increasingly seeing premiums in this space anyways, you know, a rental property, regardless of who's on title, a person or a holding company, we're seeing premiums to the rate just simply because it's an investment property. So this is common and we should
0: probably expect more of this going forward. Yeah, so like, I just want to touch on that for a quick second here, because what is one of the first things that people ask us always, what are the interest rates? Obviously, it's not a question 99% of the time we can answer, hey, there's a range of X to X, but we need to know 53 other things first. But yeah, to that point, I think the th- first time someone buys an investment property, or even like the second time when they're doing a refinance or something of that nature, they're often surprised to say, well, why is why why is this lender, you know, surplusing the interest rate or adding a certain amount? Why isn't it this amount? We have to be honest here, lenders are not looking for rental properties on their books it's not what they're looking for. Generally speaking, you have to keep in mind these lenders are looking for what they would consider to be the safest possible investment. And that is your owner-occupied residence. That's what they're looking for. And and, and another thing to keep in mind is a vast majority of lenders that are out there, a large percentage of them, uh, it's it's like, let's use, for example, a monoline lender or mortgage finance company. It's not their money, they're lending. They're lending money from investors. And so these investors decide what the parameters of your mortgage should be to offer you X amount of rates. And going back to the rate conversation, that's why when you see these rates online, it's so difficult for so many people to qualify for them, uh, because you don't fit those parameters. So I know I kind of went around the, the, the pond, so to speak. And, and just coming back to the hold code pieces, again, you're going to get surplus for your rental rate already. The hold code just adds another layer where you are reducing your options. The more you reduce your lending options, the less that we can qualify you for or the less solutions available to you as much as possible. You always want to provide yourself the most options.
2: Alex, you mentioned right when we started, the bear trust agreement is a great way to circumvent this and and we can get it really deep into that.
0: And again, talk to the lawyer about that one. But I I think depending on how many people respond to this episode and send us a DM and let us know, maybe we'll have uh, a tax accountant or a lawyer come on. I don't know if it'll be the most exciting episode in the world, but we'll have somebody come on and we'll try to spice it up. And we'll talk a little bit more about that. But just know that there are, to your point, Dean, thank you for that. uh, Some ways to, I wouldn't say Maybe circumvent uh, is a little bit on the high level, but you uh, get around a portion
1: of, of those issues, right? So a couple other considerations here um, in you know creating that company and, and buying in a company is there are costs. Uh, it's a little bit more administrative than just purchasing in your personal name. So you have to actually physically get a lawyer. Well, for the most part, you get a lawyer to incorporate that company for you. It, that'll cost, I don't know, 1,500 bucks, I guess, somewhere in that range. I've seen them be $2,000, so there is a setup cost. Um, there's paperwork and time and effort that goes into actually doing that. Uh, so if it's a really quick thing, sometimes that's not gonna work for you. Like if you've already purchased and you're trying to scramble last minute to do this, it might not work. And there are ongoing costs that you would not typically incur if you're purchasing your personal name. like you That company has to have a, an annual legal filing completed every single year by a lawyer. It's not overly expensive. I think it's a couple hundred bucks, but that has to happen every single year, like clockwork. And you also have to prepare financials. You have to do taxes for that company. It's another entity, right? So depending on the cost of your accountant, that could be 1500 bucks a year going forward. So you really have to look at this and say, you know, I'm buying a $300,000 condo that I'm, I'm netting five grand a year right? Rental income, I'm netting five grand a year. Does this make sense with the cost that I'm going to incur and the extra administrative work to keep this ongoing? Right? So again, talk to your accountant, but there's typically a level of income or profits that you should kind of be anticipating to make it make sense to buy in a holding company. So those are just some of the other considerations. Then obviously the mortgage thing that can be a bit of a clawback as well. It can be restrictive uh, and it, yeah, it just limits your options.
0: I think, in addition to that, the point that you didn't uh, bring up, but is a, a side product of the, all of that, is the time, the time, and uh, it's in every single aspect of your your mortgage or real estate financing journey, um, you know, you have a life. You probably work a full time job. Maybe you have a side hustle. You maybe you have kids uh and in, in, in you got so many different things going on and when you have to start managing obviously now this holdco uh different conversations with accountants and things of that nature again it might make a ton of sense to you. you should have that conversation up front but do not forget there is time that goes into managing and creating and building and looking at all these structures and that's where things can kind of fall apart because if you're not maintaining it or managing
1: it then it all is for naught we've touched on most of this so far but just to give you guys another kind of high level here so obviously the asset protection piece it does put a layer you Know between you and that property from a liability standpoint, um, there could be tax benefits. Uh, tax deferral is typically what we see. Um, chat with your accountant, but you know that's where you're typically holding the the proceeds or the profits. It goes back into the corporation, and until that money's drawn personally, you typically won't see that that major tax bill. Um, estate pl- planning and succession planning, whether that be family or just selling a property, uh, selling the shares of your company, which gets rid of that property, which just opens up to options. Um, sometimes we see that mortgages don't register on your personal credit bureau. It really, really depends on the bank. Most of the time they do, but sometimes they don't, which can be beneficial in certain um you know, personal property acquisition situations. And really like for, from a business standpoint, if you have an operating company, you know, you're separating that liability again, right? Like the operating company is where all the risk and liability is. And it allows you to purchase and acquire property and real estate and assets and just separate that liability completely. There's so much that goes into these
0: things. And, and Derek, you you did a great job explaining that. Hey, one thing I want to touch on really quickly, and I don't know if we got into much detail, you brought up the, the flip. This strategy like why someone would want to do that for the purpose of uh, flips is that something you want to touch on really quickly?
1: Yeah, so I mean, a flip like just getting back to you know the structure of are you expecting this property to produce a fair amount of profit? And most of the time, if you're going into a flip, you sure hope so, right? Or it's probably not a good idea, but you know, if you're going to make a couple hundred thousand dollars on a flip. Like that's a fair amount of money that if you do that in your personal name as an investment, capital gains, all the other taxes that come with that, it's pretty hefty. And that's a cost that you have to consider to see if it actually makes sense to take on that project. Whereas we've seen somebody that if you're doing repetitive flips, if it's over and over and you're kind of turning it into a business, um, sometimes in those situations it can be looked at as business income. Right. So sometimes including the corporation uh, in buying the property in in a corporation can actually have some tax benefits there because you're looking at that like business income with write offs and you know, you draw dividends from the corporation. It's just a totally different structure. So if it's a one off for sure, there's probably some short term benefit. If it's ongoing and that's kind of what you're doing for work, you can actually try to structure that as a business with your accountant and and have the income looked at in a different, in a different uh, way. Listen, if
0: you made it this far in the episode, you guys love to learn about Hold codes, Operating codes, how to qualify, and you probably want to learn a little bit more. So, certainly ask us, reach out, DM us at Thrive Mortgage Co at the YBR Remo Show to connect. We are uh, always interviewing and taking on uh, new clients and partners to help better their business and their financial opportunities. We went over so much in this episode uh, obviously, the pros and cons of putting things into a Hold Co from a lending perspective, operating versus uh, Hold code and so so much more so uh, before you leave us today before we uh, we finish things off here make sure to go ahead and follow us on instagram at thrive mortgage co at the ybr Remo show leave us a five star review on itunes because that gets the juice going and send us a dm if you're if you're having any ideas or or, or topics that are really uh, tweaking your interest here we certainly go based on what people are talking about and we certainly want to make sure to continue to cater to our audience and our crowd so thank you so much for joining us on behalf of my partner dean derek Myself from Thrive Mortgage Co. Uh, If you're enjoying the episode, make sure to subscribe. We'll talk to you all soon.